This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. And welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. Wowzers, dude. How's that commute been going on since you've been, you know, under like zero temps? Oh, minus 13 on Thursday, I stayed home. Oh, you did? Yep, and I kept most of the kids home, just the oldest went. Oh, yeah, schools around here were closed. They should have been or delayed opening, and, and my oldest has a uh, safety patrol. So I, I sent a note to the assistant principal. It's like, he will not be at safety patrol. Oh, absolutely not. No way in hell. No, I'm it, telling it, you what, it is. it has been absolutely, unbelievably brutal. And um, the crossing guard said you did the right thing. I'm glad you didn't send them. Oh, yeah. There's no way. Did any, like, nobody stands out there at that point, do they? Not really. And... Uh, but on Wednesday, I texted my friend who lives in Chicago, asked him if he was going to be walking his dog. And he said, not today. <laughs> Actually, I have a friend in Chicago, too. And he said that they were saying, I forget how much. Oh, God, I don't want to quote this wrong. But something like if you're out for almost 10 minutes or up to 10 minutes, your corneas can be cornea in your eye can be either frozen or something can happen to the cornea in your eye. Yikes. Because the wind is so brutal. Um, yeah. Minus 50 wind chill. Yeah. Unbelievable. I think that was like a record, right? Colder than Antarctica. I can't get over it. It's crazy crazy as hell. I mean, so we're getting the big warm up this week, though. Supposedly, it's supposed to be like forty four or something. Oh, I heard it's sixty on Wednesday. What? I didn't hear that. Oh, but my favorite was um, Trump saying, uh, "We could use some of that global warming now." Yeah, <laughs> he's brilliant, boy. He, you know, we don't get political, and we never want to be. But let me just tell you something: he has some of the best one liners. Oh, he's he's nuts. Um, Tuesday, 54 degrees. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't wait for it to happen because, um, you know, okay. I'm a winter person. I don't mind winter. I like the snow. I, there's, I like outdoor things in the winter, but this is ridiculous. I mean, it's just plain ridiculous. Yeah. It's gonna get warmer every day. So I think yeah. we're, at, we're out of the woods uh, for a little bit anyway. Yeah. I felt really bad for the frogs. Like they would run outside and literally my little one, Mo, would run on three legs, alternating which foot to put down. Yeah, exactly. I was making those sounds in my head as sick as I am. Like, oh my God. He's like, no, no, no. Like, which one do I put down? Which one do I put down? Why didn't you tape that? Oh, dude, I should do that. You know, because uh. I, I let him out. They, he, he goes out. Does his business and is in in seconds. Oh, I would think so. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's been, it, and believe it or not, Ma's nice and warm. Everything's good, but she's really, really ornery. I bet. Yeah, because she can't leave the house. 
And you know Ma, her and her friends are always going to lunch. They go to breakfast. They go to the stores. They go to lunch. They go to breakfast. So she's been in the house. And oh my God, please, please, for the love of God, let it warm up so Ma can leave the house. Yeah, for Ma. Do it for Ma. Do it for Ma, people. Anyway, yeah. um, our, our guest is is a really great show. There's, there's a lot to be learned in this show. Um, I want to thank everybody who's been reaching out. We've been getting so many people reaching out and uh, wanting to discuss these these topics. And I appreciate it so, so, so much. We can't, of course, have everybody on the show, but um, we try to get as many important topics out there as possible. So um, in just a few minutes, we're going to have our guest, Kathy Pitt, wait, Pritchard. Yeah, I, 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 Pritchard, that's what it. I kept saying Pritchard, but it's Pritchard on our show, and we can't wait. So in a second, we'll have Kathy. In the meantime, Seth, hey, put that heater up. Turn that heater up. Oh, it's on. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Today's show is super, super meaningful, exciting, and, and it's, it's a show that has to be heard, that has to be addressed. It's things that ha are happening in this world and have happened in this world for so long that need to be stopped immediately. Uh, Kathy Picard is an aspiring, inspiring, award-winning advocate and author whose work centers on increasing awareness of the harsh realities of sexual child abuse. As a survivor of childhood sexual abuse through her own process of understanding or trying to understand what happened to her, Kathy discovered that there are very little information about the subject of sexual abuse, even in the libraries, which blew my mind. Since then, she's educated herself and is now actively seeks opportunity to speak about the importance of awareness, to share the resources that she's personally vetted, to educate people who want to know more and do more, and to offer information and encouragement to fellow survivors and thrivers, their family and friends. For over 15 years of advocacy, which includes her persistent and determined work to get both criminal and civil statute of limitations for sexual abuse eliminated, Kathy has, recognized, has been recognized for her efforts and received many awards, honors, and citations. I'm proud to welcome to the One Tough Mother Show, One Tough Mother Kathy Picard. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate being on your show. It's quite an honor with all the other ones that you've actually interviewed. So, Sherry and Karen, I look forward to speaking to you about, like you said, Karen, this is a very important topic that needs to be talked about each and every day. We need to prevent sexual abuse from happening. It's happening way too often. Um, it, it, you're so right. And it's, and again, I want to also say that we, of course, we have tough mother. Um, Sherry Botwin, who is our Tough Mother Therapist. She's part of our co-hosting on our show. Sherry, thank you for being or taking the time out of your practice to be on the show with us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be a part of this. Okay, so wait, before we, before we get started, let's talk about, did everybody get the winter storm? I mean, was anybody else shoveling this, <laughs> this morning? Yes, yes. It, it wasn't too, too bad here in Massachusetts, but yeah, we did have to shovel. Yeah, I, I, I was looking for like six to eight inches. We got maybe three, so yeah. it wasn't as bad as I thought. More is coming, nope. though. More yeah. is coming. So I hear. Oh. I know. Exciting, right? Anyway. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, more is on its way. So, Kathy... Oh. Actually, when we got connected, it was way back in October, when I saw a post announcing you were promoting your book. The title of your book is? Life with My Idiot Family, A True Story of Survival, Courage, and Justice Over Childhood Sexual Abuse, was released on Amazon on March 27th, uh, 2017. Yeah, and you know what? When I read the title, to be completely honest with you, I, I never... That was never the thought in my head, right? Right, right. Other people said that to you too, correct? They have. You know, they think it's like a comical book title when they first read, you know, Life with My Idiot Family. But my husband and I came up with that title because that's what my mother called me and my three sisters growing up is idiots, either idiots or assholes. So it's a wonder that I even know my first name. But, you know, then the subtitle, True Story of Survival, Courage, and Justice, which is what I got, 
over childhood sexual abuse really tells what the story is about. Now, Kathy, and, and anything that I touch on that, that you feel uncomfortable with, please just say, because I'd never, ever, ever remember the One Tap Mother Show. It's all about you and your story. And I've listened to a lot of interviews that you've done. I've read a lot of things that you've done. So I, I think I'm pretty safe, but I don't want to make you feel at all uncomfortable with anything. No, I don't think that's going to be a problem whatsoever. Okay. So, Kathy, you are actually a survivor as well as a thriver of childhood sexual abuse from a very young age, correct? Correct. And your sexual abuse was actually uh, perpetrated by someone who, who you loved and lived with you, correct? Correct. So I, I think about that a lot because in the foreword of your book, Chief of Police Lewis Berry makes a powerful statement that pertains particularly to you. He states, and I quote, there's nothing glamorous about being the victim of a crime, particularly the victim of a crime that involves sexual assault and rape. Victims are victims feel confusion, embarrassment, and shame. Add that to the fact that the victim is often a child and the fact that the perpetrator is likely a family member. And not only are those feelings magnified, they can become entangled with love, fear, and guilt. Sexual assault involves family members are all too common and perhaps one of the most underreported crimes because the victims of the crimes are often children who are easily manipulated and intimidated into silence. Was that you? Yeah, absolutely to a T. Uh, you know, being sexually abused from the young age of seven until I was 17 years old, Karen and Sherry, um, you know, not speaking about it for all those reasons, being ashamed, not being believed, uh, you're going to get in trouble, your your dog's going to get killed, you know, just a bunch of different things is why I did not speak out. And on top of all that, having my stepfather who sexually abused me, uh, he was an auxiliary police officer. Right. So that's why, you know, some one of the presentations that I give, and I've been doing this for seven years, is at the police academy to educate them and let them know why somebody would not tell, and if they do tell them, what they can do about it. So, so when you found your voice at 17, when you, when you turned that corner, when you made that decision that this is, this is not me, this is not because of me, is did everyone believe you? Was there support? Was there love? What what happened then? No, no support from the family whatsoever. Uh, just totally turned turned a blind eye. You know, they just didn't want to hear about it. You know, I would ask my mother and stepfather, "Let's go for counseling. Let's get some help." And they more or less said, "For what, Kathy? Nothing happened." And that was an exact phone call that I did to my mother is I said, let's go for counseling. And she said, for what, Kathy? Nothing happened. And she said, I have to go and hung up the phone. So not only was it this, your stepfather and, and your step, stepfather was in your life from, from a very, very early age, correct? Age four. Age four, I was adopted by my stepfather. So this is really the only dad you know. That at that time in my life, that's the only dad that I knew. Right. So you, you, you. Every child wants to be loved by their parent. Every child mm -hmm. wants to be loved by their mother and father. I mean, th this is why it's such a difficult subject and it's difficult for children to talk about and even adults to talk about because, you know, being from a family with uh, police officers and 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 around a lot of people who've had issues. They say the same thing, like they didn't want to hurt their family. They didn't want to hurt the person who was doing it to them. Right. In, in some, I don't know, human or bizarre, or I don't even know how to put it away, they, they love that person, correct? Right. And you, and you think, how can I even tell this person? You know, my stepfather would actually tell me things like, you know, if you do tell, nobody's going to believe you. And if they do believe you, your mother and I are going to get divorced and it's going to be all your fault. So, of course, I didn't want the family broken up. I didn't want my sisters to go into foster care or out of the house. I just wanted to keep this family together the best that I could. And I didn't realize that abuse is happening so, so much that I just thought, you know, it was normal. 
Right. Believe it or not, I just thought that it was a normal, it was a form of love that I was getting from my stepfather. You know, I was getting all the grooming, I was getting the gifts, getting the I love yous, which I wasn't getting from my mother. Um, you know, he was telling me I was very special. So, you know, when you're getting this attention, you don't really think too much about what he's doing to you and that that, that is very harmful. I, I, Sherry, jump in here. Sherry, is this normal? Is this the normal process of what these th what these perpetrators do? It happens all the time. I feel like anybody that I've ever met that has been abused by a parent, a coach, a teacher, a minister, they all describe that same thing, that confusion of on the one hand, they're being made to feel important and special, and on the other hand, they're also being taken advantage of. It, it, it all is part of the process, I think, of the, what, what goes on in the abuser's mind and how they actually go about victimizing their, the, the, their victims. It, and so, Kathy, when this was happening to you, when you're nearing 15, 16, 17, what was your life like on the outside? What was your friend situation on the outside? I mean, was there something you could compare your life to? Oh, the outside. I mean, I was one happy child, and nobody would have ever guessed that this was happening in my home. You know, I still converse to this day with some of my high school graduates, and they're like, Kathy, we had no idea. And because I had that wall up, I had that smile on, I had that, you know, want to be friends with people attitude. I didn't have that going into drugs or drinking or, you know, some kind of depression. I mean, I was just a very happy person. So nobody had any idea what was happening behind closed doors. It was it because you wanted to be socially accepted. I wanted to, exactly. I wanted to be normal. Yeah. And what happens with that is you don't want to say anything because then all of a sudden you're not normal any longer. Right, right. And I didn't want to put my family on the line of getting that divorce that, you know, he would often threaten me with. But back then, Karen, you know, it wasn't taught in schools or anywhere, you know, 4-H club, Girl Scouts, every organization that I belonged to, it wasn't taught that it's okay to tell. Somebody will believe you. Somebody will get you that help. You know, it really needs to be taught more in schools, and I'm still trying to push for that to happen. I, I agree with you 1,000%. What was the catalyst? What, what was the rocking point for you that made you go, stop? For me, it was when I was 17. I, I remember exactly. I came home from a date with a boyfriend, and my mother said, you're late. And I, you know, I wasn't really late all the time. I was a really good kid, followed directions. And, you know, she said, you're late. And then, uh, you know, out of the blue, she was really upset. And she said, you know, your father's not your real father. <laughs> and I said, what? I mean, here's a man that I would think was my real dad growing up and not realizing until I was age 17 that I was adopted by him. Oh, my God. And that's when I said, you know, what you've been doing to me is wrong. And, of course, he would beg me after that, Sherry and Karen, and say, you know, one more time, one more time, Kathy. And I'm like, no, it's got to stop. And if you keep on asking, I'm going to tell. And that's when it stopped. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and, and did, was there guilt and remorse through him or was it no? Oh. No, no, not at all. There was no, there was no guilt. He wasn't doing anything wrong in his mind. And Sherry, is that common too for the perpetrator, for the, for the abuser to, to think this is normal? Absolutely. I think it's one of the parts that makes our head spin because we know, anybody knows that doesn't have this kind of pathology. This is not how you treat a child. And I think in the mind of an abuser, they find ways to make their behavior acceptable. Yep. So even with the way Kathy is talking in terms of how she's confronting her abuser, he in his mind is still able to say to himself, what she's saying is crazy and I'm not doing anything wrong. Yep. Unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable. And then denying it through the adult years, denying nothing happened. You, know, so you actually... Let's go to this real quick because this blows my mind all the way around. So you fought and fought and fought to have the criminal and civil 
statute of limitations extended for child sex abuse crimes. Yes. That happened in June of 2014. And the day, the very day that they signed that into law, yep. what did you do? The day they, I was at the press conference of when they did it. And, you know, because I had asked former Governor Deval Patrick, I said, I want to be there. There was about 100 of us. And one of my main things for wanting to be there, now don't laugh too loud, but I wanted to be there because I wanted one of those pens that they signed the bill into law because that was very symbolic for me. Absolutely. To have that pen, well, I have two of them. Uh, former Governor Deval Patrick gave me two of the pens. Um, and it was just really symbolic. But as soon as... That ink was on that paper. I had texted my attorney, John Stewart, and said, let's go. And the paperwork was filed that day. And, and you still, you were within the statute of limitations at that point, correct? I was once the law got extended. Once the statute of limitations for civil, because it was only 21 years old. So a person only had until the young age of 21 years old to go forward in Massachusetts for a civil case but the law got extended on June 26 2014 and it got extended to a victim being the age of 53 wow. and I was exactly 53 that's what I mean it was like 53 and you were 53 so exactly exactly so I, I couldn't get him on criminal because criminal September 21st 2006 the criminal statute of limitations was 31, and it got extended in September to the age of 43. Okay. But I was beyond that, so I couldn't get him on criminal charges, which would have been great. Yeah, and so you and your attorney file against yes. him. And what is the reaction there? And the reaction, it took about a year, but in November 2nd is when I had a four-day jury trial, and you know, nervous, crazy, it was, <laughs> but, you know, in your lines, uh, Karen, I had to be one tough mother, <laughs> and, and I was, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was tough for me, it was really, really tough to be in that courtroom, and it was held in federal court in Springfield, the reason why it was held in federal is because he was out of state, but it was a four-day jury trial, and he had to come up from the South and, and attend it. And he didn't have an attorney because he said claimed he had no money for an attorney. He represented him himself, which is beyond control. Um, and, and it was tough, but, you know, I did it. I was up on the stand for two days out of the four. And the second day, it was unbelievable, but I got to actually call him a rapist. And that felt pretty good. That, that's amazing. So he refused. Well, he didn't get an attorney on, on the uh, grounds that he couldn't afford one. So you now you have to face him. He's not right. sitting at a table, and you do not have an attorney questioning you and pacing back and forth. He is the attorney. Exactly. Or the wannabe. Yeah, the wannabe attorney. <laughs> the wannabe attorney. But he was actually questioning me. Um, and that, that was tough, you know, him asking questions, but a lot of his facts were just so far off the radar. They weren't even true. You know, some of the things he was saying, you know, as a bartender, it's like he said, my husband's brother was living with us. I mean, things that made no sense whatsoever. So he really did not have his facts together. At any time, did he try to push this? behavior on you as a child that you somehow asked for this um he did try to portray me as a slut yes um he did try to do that uh you know saying that i had boyfriends but judge Catherine robertson said you know this is just irrelevant to what we're talking about here so it, it got dismissed and sherry that's normal for a narcissistic attitude isn't it or a person to try to push someone else it's all part of the pathology. It's part of narcissism, but it's really especially a part of the abuser's background is to take no responsibility and try to find a way in their brain and then with others to explain it away as if the person that got hurt was the person that caused it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. So you got through it, which thank God you did, and you wrote your book. 
Yes. But I just want to go back one thing that one of the stupid things that he said during the trial is he did say to the judge, he said, you know, we can end this if you just give me a million dollars and we can end this thinking that he was entitled to a million dollars from me. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like I said, he his facts were not where they should be. I have to ask you, were, were you was there support now from your family? Uh, from my biological dad and that side of the family and all my friends and supporters and survivors, that support I do have, but the idiot family, no part whatsoever, nor do I want any part of that family in my life. Right, right. So you ended up meeting your biological father. I did. I actually met him when I was 28 years old. Uh, my mom had told me, because after I found out at 17 that he was my stepfather, I said, well, who is my real father? You know, you want to know health reasons and you just want to know who your dad is. And the response I got was he died in Vietnam, Whoa. which was not true. So I met my real dad, um, wonderful, wonderful guy. I wish I met him sooner, but I met him when I was 28 years old. And to this day, we see each other three, four times a week. Excellent. Wow. That's fabulous. I'm yeah. He has a whole chapter in my book, actually. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, yeah. that's really good. Okay. So Kathy, give us, give us what your, your wish list is here. Tell us going forward. What, what is it that you want to do? What, what is it that you want to accomplish? I want to have a copy of my book or on Kindle in everyone's hands. I believe it's a tr it's a story that could actually reach out, help a lot of people. You can help your friends. You can help your coworkers with this. This book to be in teachers' hands, counselors' hands, social workers. And, you know, it's not just because it's my story, but I really think that it, it hits a lot of points in the book. And, you know, it's written by a husband and wife. It was me and my husband and our editor, Valerie Utten, that actually did the book. And it took us over five years to write it. And I'm really excited to share with everybody. I don't have it on social media yet, but I just finished yesterday narrating my book. So it will be on audio um, come February. That's amazing. And, yeah. and Kathy, when you, when you wrote the book, did, did you... Think of like giving little tips and life lessons for people to, to be able to like, wh what do you do? Like if you have a question, like, is this child being abused or is this child, there's something wrong? There's little things you can pick up on, correct? Oh, most definitely. Yes. Cause it's a story for me when I was a young girl, all the way, even parts of the deposition and the trial are in there. There's resources in the back, darkness to light for adults and child help. Speak Up, Be Safe for Kids, which I believe that that program should be in each and every school, pre-K to 12th grade. And, you know, so there is a lot of tips and a lot of, some of the counselors had told me that, wow, that is a sign that I didn't even think of. So, yeah, I think it would help a lot of people. That's amazing. And I think, um, Sherry, you and I have discussed this before with other guests, that the most powerful statement is, I believe you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things I'm thinking about as I'm listening to both of you talk, the power that comes from being in a courtroom and being told you have, we, we believe you, we believe what you're saying to us. And I think that I'm sure Kathy, you can understand this, but in some ways that's what we fantasize about as the abuse is happening. Someday yep. I hope somebody will believe me. Yep, and stop this from happening and, and help me. But, you know, it's hard for a survivor to actually even start telling the story because where do you start and who do you go to? And if you do come across one person that just says, I'll talk to you later, you know, you need to take that time right then and there and say, I'll help you now because that person's going to say, I'll change my mind, you know, and not speak up. So, you, and to say you're going to believe them, that's huge, Sherry. You're right. Absolutely right. I, I'm just, I'm just in awe of your courage and, and your strength and the fact that you had to face your stepfather in court and, and you went through with this because this is, um, 
this all comes from the fact that you have to you have to believe in yourself because I think they've groomed you or they groom you so long to not believe in yourself to not believe this is wrong right from right. from young young from a very young child that that to have gotten over that and to have to have gotten a hold of it and taking control of your life is just amazing I think you're an amazing woman Thank you so much. Thank you. And let's just hope, I mean, my, my long-term goal, uh, sharing Karen, is to make the book into a movie. And it's gone out to Reese Witherspoon, who has Hello Sunshine. She takes books and makes them into movies. And also to Oprah Winfrey. So that's my, my biggest long-term goal. And as one senator told me, one person can make a difference and never give up. Excellent. And where now tell us everybody where they can find you. If, if someone wants to reach out to you or wants a copy of your book or whatever the case is. So they can actually email me. Uh, I am on Facebook, Kathy with a K P card and from Ludlow, Mass. And they can also email me. It's Kathy with a K child advocate at gmail.com all over social media. But that's probably the best way is to email me. Um, my cell phone number, I have no problems giving it out, 413-575-4674. Excellent. Well, thank you, Kathy. We're just so happy that you came on the show. We're so pleased to have had you here. Thank you, Sherry. Of course, you're an amazing part of our show, and we're very fortunate to have you. Um, please, that was my dog actually ringing the bell. <laughs> He rings the bell to go outside at the most inopportune time. <laughs> that's, that's too cute. Oh, thank you. Thank you so very much. And please um, reach out to us anytime. And we're always here for you. And we thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye. Of course, we have Tough Mother Sherry with us, who is the One Tough Mother therapist for our show and, and a very, very dear friend. Sherry and I are very dear friends. Sherry, um, amazing woman, right? Absolutely amazing. I have to tell you, the whole time you guys were talking, I felt like I was going to jump up and down on my sofa. It, it's, it's The toughest thing is absolutely 1000% nobody will ever disagree with me is is coming up and talking about it and getting it known right absolutely and you know the, one of the things I was thinking about when Kathy was talking about being in court and she was talking about her book and she was talking about speaking this is what I say to people all the time every single time we speak every single time there's something else that we can process or work through or digest and I was actually thinking about that as Kathy was sharing her story and I want to say to people never stop talking and do it in the way that's right for you for her it's writing the book it's speaking on on your show it's trying to sell her book for a movie it can be in any form but I think that there's so much healing that comes from telling our story over and over and over again I agree a thousand percent. And, and okay, Sherry, I need to ask you this tough question because it, it, it's, what do you do if nobody believes you? What do you do? What do you do? You keep working to find somebody that will. And while you're doing that, you say to yourself, I know what happened to me. I was there. Nobody was there with me. I am my own witness. I think that's so important with abuse because it obviously it takes place behind closed doors and survivors really do grapple with how do I prove this especially if you're somebody that like Kathy who at the age of 53 is sitting in the courtroom she doesn't have any evidence but there is evidence because you know the impact that it has left on you and you know what you felt during it and you know what you felt after so I would say in the times that we're living it's more likely that the more you persevere, you eventually will find somebody that will believe you. But as you're working on finding that person or those people, every day you need to say to yourself, I believe me. I know what happened to me. Right, right. And and the, the whole da stranger danger thing, it, it's very confusing because these are people that are supposed to love you and take care of you. And a lot of times these abusers will do exactly what Kathy's 
stepfather was doing he was telling her the whole time grooming her telling her how much he loved her how special she was and uh it's hard it's very difficult like the police um chief said in his forward in her book that it's very difficult because it becomes entangled with love and guilt and shame and how do you separate those things sherry like what what is the what is the answer to what do you what do you say to these young kids that are young people that come in or or children? How do you tell them that they, they're not hurting the family like they they're being told they are? I always say, especially if I'm working with somebody who's in their teens or young adulthood, I always say it's not the speaking that's the problem; it's that it happens. And I think, unfortunately, this is one of those things where as we get older and we understand more about boundaries and relationships that we can realize where the abuser has completely crossed the line. It's, it's not very often that kids are talking in police, police offices or in courts about their abuse. It's more often that it's when somebody becomes an adult that they even realize that they were abused. That, that to me is one of the hardest and most heartbreaking parts of working with survivors is that often they have to live not just during the abuse, but then they have to go years and years after before they're old enough to actually even understand what to, what to even call it. And I think that that was a powerful piece to, for me, listening to Kathy, when she was able at 17 to say to her stepfather, you can't keep doing this to me. I meet so many patients who at 17, wouldn't even know what to call what it is that's being done to them because they don't know any different. Right, right, right. So to be able to say to yourself, the part of you that feels guilty and the part of you that feels shame, to also really be able to look at your younger self and understand you, you don't even realize that what is happening to you is wrong. A part of you knows, a part of you feels sick, but you're not able to even find a way to that there are no words. One of the things that Kathy was talking about, which I also find to be hugely relieving as a, a survivor myself, is that now the, the, the schools are starting to teach parents and children at much younger ages what abuse is, what to do if you're a victim of it. Back when she was being abused, back when I was living through my abuse and for many of my patients, there was no education, there was no intervention. So I feel like we really are at a tipping point with the generation now of kids. I feel hopeful that more and more people at younger ages will, will start coming forward. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I'm so glad yeah. that you're hopeful for that. Well, thank I, you. I really do feel that. Thank you, my dear friend, and thank you for, for taking the time out of your practice. I know you have patience to see, but thank you so much for being on our show and being part of our show. And again, thank you to, to Kathy Picard. I mean, you're an amazing woman. I, I, I just pray that everything that you're doing, I, you're heard and it continues and you help so many, many more people, children or, or young adults or adults at this point to realize that what happened to them was not their fault, was not of their doing. And that there is someone out there that will listen. There's someone out there that will believe you. Have a wonderful day, my friend. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back and we've got headlines and headaches and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Yes. Karen, do you know what the best country in the world is? The United States? Uh, no. No. I, listen, I didn't come up with this report, but... The best country in the world is Switzerland because there's Switzerland. Oh. And and Canada ranks third. How about oh. That? Yes. Where the states rank? Up there for the winter. And you tell me how it ranks then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's according to the latest US News and World Report, which surveyed business leaders and citizens from thirty six countries on metrics including economic influence, education, and quality of life. Countries were ranked on various factors, with Switzerland considered the best country in terms of economic stability, access to capital, a strong legal framework, and prestige. Oh, excuse me. I'm from Switzerland. 
Woo! And plus, they have that really good chocolate. Don't they have really good chocolate? In, uh, yeah, and Swiss cheese. Oh, yeah, Swiss cheese, too. And Swiss Miss uh, hot cocoa. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Swiss Miss instant cocoa. Instant cocoa. Okay, um, I'm sure it is wonderful. And um, maybe one day we'll crack the top ten again. Okay. I hope so. Let's talk about Utah. What? You want to? What about huh? Utah? Labor force growth in Utah is outpacing every other state in the union, leading to big economic gains. A report in the Wall Street Journal notes that the state's economy has grown 2.8% per year since 2010, while the U.S. average has been 2.2%. While factors like regulations, education, and taxes play a part, the expansion of the labor force is a key factor in growing the economy, with Utah's growing 1.9% on average over the last decade, while the U.S. overall has grown 0.6%, a figure that is projected to fall even further in the coming years. Wow. I think it's the, I think it's the Mormons. I think it is too. Well, good for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm going to be wanting to go to Utah anytime soon. I've been to the state; it's a lovely state, but I don't want to live there. Fine, I would go. Really? You'd live in sure. Utah? If I could work remotely and have a nice big house and pay low, like no property tax. Yeah, sure. you're convinced. You're starting to convince me. All right. Yeah, I'm out of here. Well, your kids are out already. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I know. Oh, you know something? This upsets me. Sick shaming infiltrates the office. In yeah. In the midst of flu season, a new kind of bug is spreading around the office. Sick shaming. Sick Damn shaming. <laughs> sick shaming. Tonight at 6 on CBS News. <laughs> Employees are increasingly less willing to tolerate sick colleagues and are finding new and not-so-subtle ways to combat germ-ridden co-workers who insist on coming in, the Wall Street Journal reports. It comes down to what academics call presenteeism, in which employees continue to work while sick because they fear losing pay, falling behind, or missing out on FaceTime with their superiors. Yeah, I tell that people all the time. If you're sick, stay home. You know what? So, that's so easy for people to say, but when I had the kids and I was a single mom, like I had to save my time from when my kids were sick. Yeah. So then I'd have to go to work sick. I mean, I get it. And I took every precaution I could not to spread it. But you know what? We just don't have in this country like a, uh, a written law or something saying that, you know, you're allowed to be sick. Well, you know, I quote Vince McMahon, what he said. What did he say? He said, Sick. There is no sick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's put that one to bed. Many in the U.S. have a financial secret. Yeah. My secret is I'm broke. Me too. Yeah. That's my secret. And I'm sticking to it. Uh, about one in five Americans report uh, keeping a checking savings or credit card account hidden from their spouse or live-in partner, according to a new creditcards.com survey. One in five. Wow. Wow. Millennials, millennials, millennials were sneakier than those who are older, with 28% saying they had a secret account. Many Americans felt this type of financial infidelity was a betrayal, with 20% saying they considered it worse than physical infidelity. Really? Uh, you know. Uh, you yeah. know. Like, I don't know. I think more, most people would be more mad, pissed off about you cheating on them than... Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, though. They really are out of their minds. Yeah. Despite the strong feelings, only 2% of Americans said they'd break up with their significant other over 5000 in secret debt. That's ridiculous. Yeah, come on, stop it. <laughs> oh, I forgot this. Facebook ha owns WhatsApp. Facebook to merge messaging apps. Facebook is planning to merge WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook Messenger, bringing together more than 2.6 billion users so that they can communicate over the three platforms, the New York Times reports. The effort will require the social media giant to rewrite the basic software of the three apps so that they are interoperable. Oh. The plan, which in its early stages, would take thousands of Facebook employees about a year to complete. Messages would incorporate end-to-end -end encryption, ensuring that only the users participating in such conversations would see them. Oh, do you forget that? I, I Don't even give me that load of crap. Oh, that nobody else will see it? <laughs> yeah. What just happened with Apple and the iPad? 
I mean, cut oh. or the eye devices in themselves. I just mm-hmm. can't stand that they're going to encrypt everything and nobody's going to get into it. Nobody's ever going to hear your secrets. Nobody's going to know your conversations. Oops, we made a mistake. Millions of people have been leaked. Big Brother is watching always. Always. Big Brother is watching always. Always. All right, let's talk about something sweet. Valentine's Day without sweethearts. Valentine's Day most popular candy will be missing from the shelves this year. Say it ain't so. Sweethearts, the heart-shaped candy imprinted with cute sayings, won't be available after original producer Neko went out of business in July after more than 100 years. The company that now owns the brand, Spangler Candy Company, says it simply didn't have time to make this year's supply in time for February 14th. Well, plans to be ready for 2020. Do you know what Neko wafers are? What's that? Do you know what Neko wafers are? Neko wafers? Yeah, do you remember those? I mean, did you ever see those as a kid? They're like in a long roll and they were different. Maybe. Flavors. Like in a roll. Like a paper roll and they were different flavors. I'm sure it was delicious. My father loved them. And you know what the sweethearts were, right? The ones that had the sayings on them? Yeah, so I was telling Ma. I'm like, hey, Ma, sweethearts Ma. aren't, yeah, sweethearts aren't going to be around anymore. She's like, oh, my God. I got those when I was a kid in school. Yeah, 100 years. Yeah, I know. Right? Want to have a moment of silence for the sweethearts? Oh, they'll be back next year. Don't worry. Yeah, they'll um, be back. Yep. You know, while a lot of people suffer around the world, Americans are expected to spend around $1.8 billion on candy this Valentine's Day. What? Yeah. billion. That's insane. Yeah. That's why we're not in the top three best countries. (laughs) Yeah, because we eat too much and spend too much money on candy. Yeah, we're just consumers. We're just disgusting consumers. Right. Speaking of disgusting consuming, Pizza Hut wants to hold your beer. (laughs) In a match made in Super Bowl Sunday heaven, pizza and beer, and Pizza Hut now wants to deliver both to your door. The chain is rapidly expanding its beer delivery service. With the company saying it will be available at a thousand stores by the summer, up from 307 states currently. The move follows other fast food brands in serving alcoholic beverages to boost consumer spending, while also appealing to millennial demand for convenience. Along with beer, Pizza Hut is expected to sell 2 million pizzas during the Super Bowl. Wow. What are you doing for the Super Bowl? Working. Oh, are you? Yeah. Where are you going to be at? Yeah, I'm outside linebacker for the Rams. Oh, really? I'm a tight end. Um, Believe me, I am, too. No, just kidding. Um, So where are you going to be? Are you going to be in the city? No. Oh. I'll be in Trenton. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that'll be cool. What do you think? Are your kids having a Super Bowl party? Oh, yeah. Big Super Bowl party. Except it's going to be like a Vampirina party instead. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Yeah. um, Actually, my 11-year-old likes the Saints, and he was crying. When they lost. Oh. Crying. Kid was crying. I was like, dude, it's okay. It's just football. Yeah. Well, I kind of felt bad about the Chiefs, but I didn't cry. Oh, I didn't feel they had the game won. The guys like lined up off sides. How do you like how do you line up off sides? We talked about this last week because it was so stunning. I mean, we were so stunned by it. Here's my deal. You're in the you're in the NFL. You've played, I'm going to say, just for the hell of it, you've played probably at least a third, if not a half of your life. You go out and line up off sides. On the most important play in the history of the franchise. Right? They haven't won a Super Bowl since 1970, and you freaking line up off sides? Yeah. All right. We beat him up, so. We don't like you no more. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, here's how to stay safe as a polar vortex puts Midwest into a deep freeze this week. Do not go outside. True. Experts say even a short time, we talked about it earlier, you know, short time of blistering cold can uh, increase risk of hypothermia, frostbite. Some have to go to work, take care of others, get clear snow, get supplies. If you're outside for any amount of time, you have to dress warmly and cover any exposed skin. I think the worst was on Wednesday. We talked about the wind chill minus 50 or 60. Temperatures in Chicago were minus 15 to low minus 26. Um, 
Skin can develop frostbite as little as five minutes. Emergency medicine doctor from Chicago said, the first body's first reaction to extreme cold is to restrict blood and oxygen flow from its extremities in order to preserve major organs. The first signs of frostbite include tingling or pain in affected areas. If you think you have frostbite, you should immediately go inside and check yourself for any discoloration or other clear sign of frostbite. Fingers, toes, and face are most often affected. People with frostbite sometimes don't realize what's happening because their fingers or other parts of their bodies go numb as it sets in. And if they're also experiencing hypothermia, which can be deadly, their judgment could be seriously impaired. Yikes. Yikes. So, you know, I guess the message here is really be careful when the temperatures are low. Try to stay indoors if you can. And if you don't, you have to layer, 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 layer up. Layer, 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 layer. It, 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 it's so scary. It's really scary because frostbite and hypothermia can set in really, really quickly. Yep. So if you're out there like shoveling your snow and go, oh, I got to shovel the snow or whatever the heck you're doing outside when it's blowing 40 mile an hour winds, 40 below zero, um, be, be thoughtful of the fact that everything's affected. I mean, it's amazing how fast it can come on. Sure is. Be careful out there, people. Yes, be very or, careful. And I hate to say this, but I don't think it's over, dude. I mean, we're talking, today's just Feb 1st, okay? Hmm? I don't think it's over. I mean, people are like, well, okay, so, wow, we made it through January. That was a long year. I mean, people are like, oh, whoa. No, dude, I, I winter is not done. We got a good two solid months, possibly. Well, for our Game of Thrones fans, winter is coming. Oh. Mm. Wow, you're you're really good at that. With that, I'm going to get to Mother Says. But before I do, again, um, thank you so much, Kathy, for, for teaching us your life lessons and for, you know, talking to us about your life and what's happened to you and, and trying to get, you know, everybody aware of what's going on and having laws change to affect um, sexual abuse. We, we appreciate you being on our show. And today I have to say with mother says you have to temporarily forget what you already know so that you can learn something new about a subject. Like you have to temporarily forget about something, what you already know. I mean, you have to temporarily forget about a subject, what you already know so that you can learn something new on it. And that's kind of cool, right? Think about that. It's like having an open mind. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe. Stay warm. You know, watch out for your neighbors. Watch out for your pets. Watch out for your children. And just, you know, think this through. It's been kind of brutal, and it could get worse or it could get better. But in the meantime, we'll talk to you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.